Okay, so I knew about that. Every drop of sweat, uh, $1 can be donated. Um, thank you. Um, I have a word for us this morning as we begin uh, our sermon series, as continue our sermon series out of Proverbs. And this is from uh, the Wisdom of Proverbs, chapter 15, uh, verse 27. Proverbs 15, verse 27 says this. Those who are greedy for unjust gain make trouble for their households, but those who hate bribes will live. These are the words of the Lord for which we're thankful. Um, before we drift off uh, this passage too quickly, let me just unpack it for you and then we'll pray for its application. This idea of greed, which we're going to discuss a little bit more in detail today, um, it really means uh, resources that are obtained even by violence, okay? That would make sense because, you know, greedy, we want, we want, we want. But it also can mean being an obstacle to others flourishing. Uh, quite literally, the word picture they had in mind when they would read this word greed was like cutting someone off which is fascinating because they didn't have cars back then, but they knew what that meant when you cut someone off from moving forward. That would be greed for unjust gain. That makes trouble, it says, for the whole household. And this idea of hating the bribe, another translation for that word bribe is the gift, and whoever hates the gift, which is kind of a weird, which is why they use bride, but essentially that means resources gained either by a favor, Hey, I'm trying to help you out, and so let me give you some, some resources by favor or for favor. I'm going to help you out, so then one day you'll help me out. When you consider this idea of uh, greed and the bribe, you realize what this passage is pointing out very clearly is that by doing so, it is the very opposite of loving God and loving others. How so? Because if we cut people off or use violence to obtain more, that's not loving God who is truly the giver of every good and perfect gift. And if we entertain bribes, which, you know, of course, it says you will live if you don't, when we entertain gain for favor, that is opposite. We start using people, not loving them. So again, we kind of see this unpacked there. We continue to talk more about greed and ultimately a spirit of generosity. Let me pray for the Lord to proceed uh, my words this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this house that you have gathered us in together, Lord. And uh, whether they're new friends gathered here this morning, uh, first timers or new timers, or Lord, we've been here for years, same spirit speaking over us, encouraging us to be thoughtful about our walk, thoughtful about our resources, and thoughtful most of all about you. Holy Spirit, we continue to sing your praises and ask you to uh, be present with us, to teach us, lead us, and guide us. Start with me. Start with me, Lord. I have work to do here. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're talking about greed and generosity. Greed and generosity. And you notice I, I didn't say greed versus generosity. I thought about it, but that wouldn't be a very fair fight, greed versus generosity. But I hope that you would walk away from this teaching time with a better understanding biblically of what is greed, and then conversely, what is it to have and live out of a spirit of generosity? Now, greed, we're going to unpack that first, is actually quite natural. We encounter greed in our story very, very early. Even at our youngest age, we start to get enchanted by this idea 
of greed. And you see it maybe in the lives of even young toddlers. How many of you have toddlers in the house, young ones? Oh, they're so cute, aren't they? Oh, little cherubs. <laughs> but then this horrible word comes out of their mouth, and it's from like somewhere deep, right? Mine! And then suddenly your little angel baby has turned into some grabbing beast that starts to acquire the things of the other kids around them. There's another word that kids will use that also comes from that same weird little space, and it's, no! And they say those both with such vibrancy, but mine! Even in these cute little innocent babies, toddlers playing together, you notice there's this temptation, and it happens when they start to realize that other kids have things. Other kids have things that maybe look a little better than the thing that I'm playing with. So they turn and they say, mine. Boy, I remember seeing this pretty vividly, even when my own boys were first very little. We used to go to bookstores. Remember bookstores? They were so fun. Great place to go on a day off on a, on a rainy day. And they always had this little Thomas the Tank Engine uh, table that was for public use, had little wooden trains on it, it was so fun, yeah. Take my little guys there, my innocent little cherubs, and they'd stand up against the top railing and they'd play with the James and, and go on the tracks. And then I'll never forget, they were there innocent. My boys, of course, innocent as could be. <laughs> Suddenly, there came from uh, you know, the children's section this, this Andre the Giant four-year-old. He was massive, I mean, he looked like he worked out, he was huge, four-year-old. <laughs> stomped over to the table and grabbed the, the one train and he was using it for a while and then he looked over at what they had and he saw him look again with big eyebrows and then he went over and he said, mine. Like his voice had changed. It was really weird. <laughs> mine. I was so offended. Like, what do you mean? He was just playing with that little train and you just took it. Mine. I looked at his mom and she had that. I was like, all right, well, just get the Edward. It's okay. You see that in kids when they look over at what others have, and it's more interesting than what they have, and they want it, and they want to have it, and they want to control it. We entertain this temptation as children. You know, I think even about my, after two boys, we had two sweet, angelic little girls. And even one of them, for her birthday, often would get a doll. But, you know, we got on this habit. We'd get him two dolls. We'd get her two dolls. It was so sweet, tender. Oh, bring a tear right now. She would take the two dolls and be like, I'm going to keep this one, and I'll give this one to my sister. And it was so, oh, how nice is that, right? But you realize, even in that, I was like, there's a measure of control going on there. Because she's saying, I get this one, probably the better one, and she can have that one. Greed comes from the desire to acquire and control resources for our own comfort and our own security. Greed comes from the desire to acquire and to control resources for our own comfort and security. Now, I'm going to be assuming in this stock art, this girl is not stealing the blocks from the other girl, though I'm going to make it seem that way. <laughs> but... Greed comes to this desire to control resources. And, and scripture now tells us that we have enough, that we all have enough. If we have shelter, 
You came here this morning from some form of shelter. And again, Scripture doesn't specify you know, how, how big or opulent. If you have shelter, you have enough. Scripture tells us if we have food to eat, if we have breakfast this morning or we're anticipating eating a lunch this afternoon or some form of food, again, it doesn't specify the quantity, it doesn't specify the amount, we have enough. Scripture tells us if we have clothes on our back, and again, it doesn't consider the quantity of those clothes in our closet or how contemporary they are to today's style. If we have clothing, we have enough. If you have those things, shelter, food, and clothes in some basic form, you have enough to be thankful and truly to be satisfied before God. But that's not how it is for most of us, all of us. We want more. We want more, Debbie. And we want it now. We want to acquire and control these resources for our own comfort and our own security. I was looking, and as I was thinking about greed, I was searching, and there was this really great little TED Talk on the science of greed. There's the, the search if you want to find it later. It's about 12 minutes, but it was real fascinating. The science of greed, again, from a secular perspective, but very interesting. They set up a board game, and in the board game, they rigged it. So half of the people playing the board game quickly got an unfair advantage that guaranteed them prosperity and of ultimate victory in the game. So it was rigged, and the players could tell it was rigged. But they observed the behavior of those who were winning in the game, and the more they began to acquire in the game, the more proud they became of themselves and began to brag over others, especially as the other person would be like, I'm starting to run out of money here. I think I'm going to cash out. Yeah, that's never going to happen to me, they might say, stuff like that. I'm never going to run out of money. I'm doing so well. Now, maybe you're here, and, and I, I don't have a super competitive uh, a gene. I have a super competitive wife, but um, maybe you're here like, well, come on, come on. I mean, that's a board game. Like, of course, the idea is to win, to have victory, right? That's, I get it. I get it. But another interesting part of the study is while they were doing that board game experiment, they put a basket of pretzels in the middle of the table, and they found that the people who were winning ultimately started eating more of a share of the pretzels, even to the point where they started to take over control of the bowl of pretzels because they were winning. Then when they had one, they interviewed them, and even though it was very clear that they had an unfair advantage because the game was rigged on their behalf, they still claimed ownership over the victory. Well, you know, I'm pretty good at games, you know. <laughs> this is how it works. Another part of the study that I found particularly interesting, too, was they set up a camera on a random street at a crosswalk where, you know, you had to stand there and wait for your option to be able to cross, uh, you know, without a light. And the rule is, of course, that people have to stop. Now, this may be uh, challenging to, to some of you, some of us, okay? But they rigged this camera up in a random street. I don't know if it was in Hinsdale. It might have been Clarendon Hills. But they found very clearly the more expensive, the more valuable the car, the less likely it was to stop at the crosswalk for the person crossing the road. The more luxurious the car, People would just kind of go through. Oh, not, no. And then the more rugged the car, the more used or inexpensive. Come on, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. What does that tell us? It tells us a lot. It can tell us something like when we enwrap ourselves with 
luxuries. Nothing wrong with it. But we can start to get a sense of ego. We can start to get a sense of self-importance. That we start to imagine that my time, our time, going wherever we're going is more important than that poor schlub trying to cross the street. The more we acquire from the basics, the greater the risk, not guarantee, the greater the risk of it affecting our sense of pride, which easily can give birth to greed. We become self-important with our time. We can risk losing touch with a sense of compassion for those people trying to just get across the road. We can become tighter, meaning more controlling about our assets, our resources. My friends, hear me super clear this morning. Do not let your self-worth be defined by your net worth. Do not let your sense of self-worth be tied to your net worth. And that is, doesn't matter if you're here this morning and you are hashtag blessed. Or if you're here this morning and you find yourself at a time of, of longing and really needing and maybe financial insecurity. Don't ever let your self-worth be tied to your net worth. This is especially dangerous for us as Christ followers. And it's not a new thing. It's not just because we live in a more prosperous era. It goes all the way back to the, to the 1780s. No, I wasn't there. John Wesley, pastor, was teaching his congregation about greed and generosity, and he referred to them, he says, as Methodists, his congregation, in every place they're growing more diligent and more frugal. Again, this is not bad. He's saying, Hey, in this era, our church seems to be experiencing, uh, we're growing more diligent, we're making more money, we're becoming more frugal, maybe even saving more money. This is all good. Consequently, he says, they begin to increase in their goods. Their standard of living is getting higher. Hence, he says, they might proportionally increase in pride. They might even continue to increase proportionally in anger. Anger, by the way, is a controlling vice. We project emotional energy and anger for the sake of control. We will in, they might increase proportionally in the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes. In other words, what other people have starts to look more interesting and more enticing than what we already own. And then there's the increase in the pride of life, sense of self-worth. And then he says... Although the form of religion may remain, the spirit is swiftly vanishing away. Wow. I always wonder about pastors like that. that. It was a different era, I know. They could say that kind of stuff, right? I never think, you know, like you could say that kind of thing and like it would probably take the air out of the room and then he's like, and stick around for the picnic after service. <laughs> I think, though, the reason that these kind of sermons endure is because you know, it's hard, I get it, but they were spoken in, in love. They're spoken in love. These words were spoken in love and a desire to correct us from that lure, that default of, of greed. Friends, do not let greed succeed in planting itself in your life story. 
We're in a series from Proverbs, and I want us to gain some wisdom from that. I want to just give you an overview of some verses that uh, I could have read to you from, from Proverbs on, on, that specify specifically greed. Those who entertain a spirit of greed will suffer from want. They will suffer from kind of endless want, which I call like a Baruch assault syndrome. They're always going to want. I want it now, daddy. Those who suffer from greed may receive a curse. They might suffer from, from uh, a, a, acute scroogeism. Those who suffer greed may gain trouble for their household. Maybe you've seen that. Families of some means, and then they end up with ungrateful children who didn't earn those means and, and can't really appreciate the, the value and gift and, 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 and blessing that it really truly is. I have a, a, a brother-in-law, and he's a, a passionate believer and a financial counselor in a different state, but he often talks about to his clients about leaving too much, and don't leave too much to your children. It can actually hurt them in ways that you don't calculate. Suffering from greed can bring trouble to the household. You can also find yourself then in an endless loop of unsatisfied craving. I want more, one more fix, this more purchase, that more experience, this and more. Okay, Whew. let's pivot to the spirit of generosity. In Proverbs, it promises these for those who entertain a spirit of generosity, who operate out of a spiritual posture. It promises that those who operate in a spiritual posture of generosity will grow richer. Hey, that sounds good. Richer, richer, yes, perhaps even in resources. I've seen that. People who are very generous with their resources often find that God will continue to download more. But it's good wealth. It's good wealth. Or they're often more satisfied with what they have than those who, uh, who suffer from greed. Those who operate out of spirit of generosity, uh, Scripture promises you'll receive blessing. Those who practice the spiritual generosity will live, quite simply live. And I believe that uh, carried forward to what Jesus said, they will have life and even life abundant. You will have experience of peace and a sense of prosperity no matter what your situation is. Those who operate out of a spiritual posture of generosity will never suffer in want. You will be satisfied. You will eat, and you will be satisfied. So how do we transition? What, is, what does a pivot look like from us to move from greed to generosity? There's got to be some kind of act of repentance or shift to go from mine what would be the opposite? I would say it's this word, yours. Yours. It's the recognition that all that we have, everything we have, is a gift. It's yours. And God, you gave it to us. Thank you. To begin, with gratitude is to, to begin with gratitude is to say, Lord, I recognize this. I've worked hard, but everything that I have is yours. You gave it to me. You gave me these opportunities. You gave me the opportunity to be born into this family with some means and to go to these great schools and to acquire, to, to have some, some management of wealth that's kept me in a place of comfort, but it's all yours. You it's all everything you've given me. It begins with you. And... It also says yours for the, in the sense of, Lord, I want to be a steward of these resources for generosity, to be able to give to others. I'm a steward of these resources 
so that what is mine from you, Lord, may be even given to others. It's a spirit of generosity that penetrates more than just our money. It's about our heart and our sense of compassion and our time and our attitude. Now with that, I want to tell you about one of the most extraordinary acts of generosity I've ever witnessed. And I've seen quite a few acts of generosity, some here in this church, but this one just sticks out. It was probably the time of life I was in, but I just can't imagine, even now, someone walking away from their home and saying, just take it. Just, just take my home and use it for, for ministry. Just take it. It's all yours. Everything. But I saw that happen once. Now, for context, I was not a believer for very long, uh, and I was invited to a mission trip to, to uh, Costa Rica, and just outside the capital city of San Jose was this old garbage dump, you know, padded down, packed down like garbage dump land, that these refugees had begun to squat on. And they started nailing up these like shanty shacks, you know, the plastic corrugated uh, wood and then like the metal stuff that they get from somewhere, just tying up houses. And, and they had come by the masses now and they were settled on top of this garbage dump. And we were there to do some work, a team of uh, uh, team of single adults like me were down there from our church to serve on this garbage dump. We knew one of the tasks was for us to build a shelter for women because they were being abused in this, this situation uh, uh, quite a bit. And they wanted to create a safe space for these women to come and get cared for and loved physically and emotionally and spiritually, but they needed a place. And this man who was living there since it kind of started, uh, the area is called La Carpio, he was giving his plot of land. So we show up there with all of our tools and stuff, and we're like looking at this plot of land on this garbage dump, and there's a home there that looked kind of like this. Just sort of shacked out, just there, uh, you know, open floor. And they said, there's a man who's been living here, and he's giving his lands to us so that we can build this women's shelter on. And he wants to say a prayer before he leaves. And so we're standing there with all our tools and ready to go. And this man walks out of the house being aided by his, I think it was his granddaughter. And, and he had half a leg and a little peg underneath it. And, and he was, you could tell he's mostly blind. And I had lost my grandfather a couple of years before that uh, who suffered from diabetes. And he, and he had, you know, the half leg. So my heart was instantly moved. And as this man came out of his little shelter shack, they said he wanted to pray for us in our work as he was giving his plot of, you know, shack, house, land on the garbage dump for us to work on. Okay. And he began to pray. And I, I really have rarely heard somebody pray like this. It was beautiful. The, the praises that he had for God, who was the giver of all good things, who had blessed him with so much, and his prayers were radiating up into the sky, and we were there. And I mean, even in my broken Spanish, I could hear every word of praise and glory to a good God who was so good, gracious and kind and loving and had brought him to this place and let him enjoy it. And, and then he was consecrating the ground. Lord, bless this ground. May it be a place of mission and ministry for women to come and be healed and to find you and to be hope, and then he started praying for us on top of that. Now I'm really melting. And prays for us in, in our journey that we've spent so much to get here and bless us with a good time and safety and fellowship and bless our families back at home who miss us. 
I was overwhelmed. And then when he was done, he just grabbed his little bag, his granddaughter grabbed him in the other arm, and he hobbled off to the rest of his life. I don't know what happened to the man. I, I assume he's probably passed. I, I pray that he found home in the, in the arms of Jesus and that there was a room prepared for him in the house of the Father that we know has, has many, many rooms. See, generosity stems from the desire to be a conduit of blessing to others. All that I have, no matter what the value of it is, is yours, Father. And may you use it for the blessing of my family, my brothers and my sisters, but even those outside my family circle. Let it be a blessing or inspiring the gospel through acts of service or, or through prayers. Having a spirit of gener generosity is more than just giving stuff away. It's saying, Lord, I want to serve others. I want to pray for others. When I see someone on the street or in a restaurant or serving me coffee, I want to give them my time and my attention and be a listening ear if there's a need for compassion. And then, yes, maybe even sharing of the resources God has given me to be a conduit of blessing for others. Now, you might ask yourself what a lot of people ask when you talk about that kind of story. Like, yeah, he walked away from a house, and, but, you know, wasn't that great of a house? And, but do people really do that in not developing countries? Is it okay to ask God to bless me? Is it okay for us to say, God, can you, can you bless me? Can you help me earn wage? Maybe you're here and you're at the beginning of your career path, a young person, or maybe you're, you're rethinking your career path. Is it okay for me to, to say, God, will you bless me? Will you bless me with resources? Will you help me earn all that I can? Yeah, I think it's okay. It's okay to say, God, will you bless me and let him lead you to some prosperity. Let him lead you. God wants to bless us. He wants you to enjoy peace and comfort. He wants you to dwell in security in your own context. He wants you to show you his love. He wants you to enjoy your family. He wants you to be able to explore creation and travel and be a missionary wherever you might go. It's really okay to ask God to bless me because we know that every good and perfect gift comes down from God, the Father who delights in giving graciously to his children. But that's just part of it. Let me, let me twist this a little bit and see how this fits for you today. What if we began to say, God, will you bless others through me? God, will you bless others through me? All that I have is yours. Everything I have, I recognize you gave me. And if you give me more, Lord, can I... How can I be a blessing to others? And again, that may be with your time, that may be with your compassion, and yeah, it may even be with your resources. Let me be a conduit. Let me be a pass-through of blessing to others, God. Fill me so that I, can be, uh, that I can outpour into others. Now, I didn't just make this up. This isn't something that Simon just made up. If you look at Proverbs 11.25, it says, A generous person will be enriched, enriched and one who gives water will get water. Lord, will you bless me so I can be a blessing to others? Will you bless others through me? Lead me, Lord, to some place that I can continue to be more generous. Even the Lord proverbed 
about this much later. Sounds very similar. He says, whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with more. Whoever is dishonest with little will probably be dishonest with more. This is really true for us as individuals, as wage earners, as providers, as parents, as grandparents, as those desiring to leave a legacy or demonstrate our worth. This is true for us to consider, and it's also true for us as a church. It's also true for us as a church as we start to turn our attention now to the, to the mid-year meeting in, in front of us. It's that time of year, friends, where, where, where we find ourselves in a budget shortage. It's not bad. I mean, most people will say, oh, it's summer. People travel and they forget to you know, give. It's, it's kind of historic around here, and it's true. You know, believe me, as a, as a, a church leader, I've, I've had a couple of years of experience uh, in this. I don't mind a budget shortage because it forces us to our knees in prayer and to really seek the Lord's provision. But I do want to tell you that, oh, by the way, you know, the bills are paid, the lights are on, you know, we're, we're hanging in there, it's okay. But it, it, it truly is hard for us to flourish as a church when there is a shortfall, regardless of the season. This is the time of year where we're planning forward. We're trying to think, what more can we do? How could we be a blessing, not only here in this congregation, to be a beacon of the gospel for those who need to hear it, to be an example of a community of love for one another, but also continuing to bless our mission and ministries out to our homes and communities around us, to uh, our neighboring towns, and, and of course into the city and beyond, around the country and around the world. When we're flourishing together financially, we're able to flourish more as a church. Lord, would you bless us so that we can be a blessing to others? Now, we're about to go into a time of offering, because we saved that for response, because, you know, talking about generosity. And, and, and as the plates come through, it's always that weird, awkward, like, what do I do with the plate? It's okay. They're actually pretty nice. They're, they're really only heaviest when they're empty. I've had some weird thoughts of these, too, as I've, I've kind of grown in my relationship with Christ. But look, God's not impressed with your offering. Maybe you came with, it, with one today, great, okay? Maybe you didn't come ready for one. That's okay. We don't want anyone to ever give because you feel pressured. It's not, never about that. What God wants most in offering is your hearts. And so in your seats in front of you or down below, I put a little strip of paper that I'd love for you to consider. There should be one in almost every seat or a couple in each seat. And it's a little blank piece of paper that says, all I have, Lord, and all that I am is yours. All that I have and all that I am, Lord, is yours. Maybe that's your offering today. We'd love to receive that. Not because us. The church is just the conduit of blessing for the Lord. Maybe you're, this is your offering today. You say, Lord, I, I didn't come ready to you know, give a, a gift. That's okay. But, but I'm really ready to give myself. Recognizing that all I have and everything that I am is not measured by my net worth, but by who I am to you. Worthy enough that you died for me in your son so that I could have life and life abundant. So as the band comes up to lead us in a time of offering, think about this. Fold it if you'd like. 
And when the offering plate comes through, just say, I'm yours. And let that be your offering today. Ushers can come forward and receive the offering. And I want to offer this prayer. If you want to stand with me for a moment, too, this is kind of a shared prayer. If you begin together saying, loving God, let this church continue to be a place where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace to work and build it, where we worship together in faith. Bless us, Lord, that we may be a blessing to others. And Holy Spirit, guide us. Guide us, lead us towards living out of a spirit of generosity. Lead us to experience even more joy in the giving as we share, Lord, of our hearts and our prayers and, yes, even our resources and outpouring of the love that you have filled us with to an abundance. And, Father, we pray for this church. We pray, Lord, that there's, we, we would consider more than we could ever ask or imagine, that this truly would be a beacon of the gospel here in this community to our neighbors and co-workers and classmates. And, Lord, also that we would continue to be empowering of other ministries around us that we're connected to in the city and, and beyond around the globe. Bless us, Lord, so that we may be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ushers, please come forward.